0: Here's what I'm going to ask everybody to do. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans 15 real quick. There are two things There are two things that I, I would like to accomplish before we wrap up next week. The first thing uh, would be that I want to go through a number of the commandments in Deuteronomy 5 that we have them. And I want us to talk a little bit about where... Um, where we see these violations in american culture right now but i want to go to romans 15 for something so turn there while you listen to me talk and then next week what i would like to do is finish deuteronomy 5 finish that chapter out and that way when we come back together in uh, september we'll start deuteronomy 6 we'll give a brief overview we'll start deuteronomy 6 again if you need uh to catch up on any of the lessons in deuteronomy you can go to gbcportage.com slash D-E-U-T, and all of the lessons are on there in audio from the very first one. So that way you got all summer to catch up, right? Right? You listen to two a day, you'll be good. So <laughs> everybody's like, right. Um, so let's pray before we jump in. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you, God, for the word of god that we have father help us to do exactly what it says to heed it to be careful father knowing that the best place for any of us to possibly be is in the middle of your will and the fact that you have even made that a thing the fact that that's even something that we can say yes we we can move in that direction father what a beautiful expression of your love for people lord so help us lord uh enlighten us we pray it in jesus name amen romans chapter 15 I want you to look at verse 4 for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that here's the reason through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope why are we taking all this time of all things being church church being found only in the New Testament going through an Old Testament book that lays out the law of God like Deuteronomy. The reason why we are doing it is twofold. Number one, it's for our instruction. There is a lot of wisdom found in the expectations of God and getting to know who He is and the failures of people before us in situations so we don't have to repeat those failures in order for us to live a successful life. I tell you, it's got to be very... i I sometimes wonder i wonder what david feels like right now in the presence of the lord but knowing that the greatest sin that he ever committed is forever inspired in the scriptures can you imagine your adultery is inspired in the scriptures for the training of other people that's a little rough isn't it i mean i'm sure he's in heaven so he's got a glorified body so he's like man this is amazing right the word's inexpressible, but still to have that, do you ever think that maybe David is sitting here going, wow, this is actually used to encourage people to stay away from adultery. What an, what an amazing testimony that is, that his failure can shine a light for other people. We get to live wisely because of his discrepancy. So the second reason why is that we would persevere. The Scriptures are to encourage us to persevere, to say, don't do this, and with everything you have, go for this. It is to encourage us, and notice the end, we might have hope. Scriptures are the only thing I know in all of religious history, and that includes secular and paganism and all that junk as well, that actually offers some sort of hope. In fact, the only thing setting Christianity apart from everything else is the fact that it does not ask you to do anything. It simply asks you to believe because everything's been done for you. So I hope that you are encouraged by that. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 5. We left off last time. We were numbering the commandments, and we were talking about how those things play a part uh, in setting a, a standard of truth. Remember that. Sometimes we will get so. Sometimes we will get so ate up. Um, on there being a difference between Israel and the church and it's a it's a good thing we should keep that distinction the Bible makes that distinction we should hold to it but sometimes we get so ate up that we refuse to find any sort of application or benefit in a lot of the things that the Old Testament provides and I think that's a mistake because all of it is the inspired Word of God so if we look at chapter 5 verse 6 here's what we did so far I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. Uh, Verse nine, you shall not worship them or serve them for I, Yahweh your Elohim, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing loving kindness to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Remember, the whole idea of if you love God or not is predicated on on the, on the if you are keeping His commandments. That's the point. You can never sit here and say, you know what, I really love God, and you're in sin about something. You know, if that's the case, then you've got some, car, some sort of emotional sway towards God, but you are completely ignoring the fact that sin is alive and well and present, and you're entertaining it and playing with it in your life. Those two things cannot coexist and that's why especially in first John John is so uh pinpoint about if we if we you know walk in darkness but we say we love him we're liars the Truth's not in us we don't know what's going on there we're, we're living hypocritically uh, the next one would be uh, verse 11 you shall not take the name of Yahweh your Elohim in vain for Yahweh will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain that's number three Number four, commandment number four, verse 12 Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as Yahweh your Elohim commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, nor you, or sorry, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you, so that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Uh, Let's see here. You shall remember, this is still part of the fourth commandment, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, Yahweh your Elohim commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now there is a break. And now the break is our relationship with other people. Those first four are our relationship with God, the relationship that God has with people. Um, It is the whole idea of love the Lord your God is the first section. Then the second section is and love your neighbor as yourself is the idea of Jesus commanding that. Verse 16, that starts commandment number five. Honor your father and your mother as Yahweh your Elohim has commanded you that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Commandment number 6, verse 17, you shall not murder. Commandment number 7, verse 18, you shall not commit adultery. Uh, Commandment number 8, verse 19, you shall not steal. Commandment number 9, verse 20, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And commandment number 10, verse 21, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That's number 10. So, do we have those down? Yes. Let me go through them real quick. Verse 7 is commandment 1. Verse 8 through 10 is commandment 2. Verse 11 is commandment 3. Verses 12 through 15 is commandment 4. Verse 16 is 5. 17 is 6. 18 is 7. 19 is 8, 20 is 9, 21 is 10. Everybody with me? Now, why is this important? Here's the reason why. When we move forward past chapter 6, and I actually think it's more when we get into 12, I can't remember right now off the top of my head, we are going to see where these commandments are actually going to plug in and identify specific situations. So here's what I'd like to do. Look at commandment number 1. You shall have no other gods before me. In the context that you live in in America, where have we seen this falter? American Idol? Well, actually, that would be for, well, that would kind of be for one, but it's actually more two, right? You shall not have an idol for yourself? What do we think? I mean, what's that? Self-worth. And self-esteem. There are a lot of people that are on the self-esteem train. Esteem means to think highly of. Self means you. To think highly of you. Well, I just need something to help my self-esteem. No, you don't. That is a prescription from the world. I guarantee you, we focus more on the promises that we have in Christ and our identity in Christ. A lot of that worry about making much of ourselves goes out the window. Now again, understand, I, under, I I get we're not Israel, therefore these aren't applicable to us as a way of life. However, the law was given to convict of sin. Romans chapter 3 is really big on that. Uh, 1 Timothy 1, the law is, is, is good if it's used lawfully. And the law is still God's truth regardless of our inability to keep it. What are some other instances that we see that we have other gods before Yahweh? Money? Which is kind of what we talked about today, right? You can't serve God in money. A lot of people worship that. What was another one? We worship the earth. Tree huggers. like those people? They're fun. Right? PETA? People eating tasty animals, exactly. Yeah, for those people that are vegetarians with the PETA situation, we have the the equally uh, uh, morose carnivores, right, who are just all about that, and they haven't seen a Brussels sprout in years, so... (laughs) Either way, worshiping food, that's a problem, isn't it? People get obsessed with worshiping food. There are actually some people, and you've seen like the little spoof uh, news articles here and there. This guy petitioned his local city government or the county in order to be able to marry his computer. Now let me, I'm serious. Let me ask you this. How long did your last computer last, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're an adulterer with computers. Uh, but think about it. Man, she needs an update. Something's wrong with her. I mean, that's how weird is that? That's odd. Yeah, we do that. What else? What are some other things? And here's a reason why I want to do this. I want to do this because I don't want you to just sit here and leave the truth of God's Word sitting on the pages. I want us to look at the culture around us and ask the question, wow, if this is God's standards of righteousness, where are we off base here? Where Where's something... something uh, misfired. How are we off track? So, so is there anything else we can think of? What are some gods that people put in front of themselves? Power, success, work, workaholic kind of thing, possessions. There's some people who worship their families. One of the biggest dangers that a lot of parents have is they worship their kids. And then when their kids are grown and gone out of college and that kind of thing, their marriage cannot function or succeed anymore because they were so all about their kids, they forgot that the basic structure of the family was the husband and wife before God because that structure had eroded over the years. Well, what do we do now? Well, we get divorced and we run up credit cards and we go buy expensive cars and everybody's having a midlife crisis about everything. It's crazy. Yeah. Here's another thing. Can anybody think of any literal gods that people have erected? Yeah. Yes. Worship idols and gods, yes. In a literal fashion, do you realize that? There is a there is a replica in Nashville, Tennessee of a place called the Parthenon. Uh, it's only about one-fifth of what the size of the real one was over in Rome. But they have a, a uh, replica, uh, a, a mocked-up, carved-up deal, and I think it's Artemis is the god that's in there. And people actually to this day leave presents around that statue today. In Nashville. So that's where we're at. That's. Stonehenge. Yep. Anybody got a favorite team? You this this church has actually been a lot easier on me about Packers than than what I thought you guys would be. That's true. But I but I seriously thought when season started up last year, you guys would be wearing cheeseheads to church and stuff like that. <laughs> that was to ease me into the process. You're not, you're not a bear fan. No, know the bear fan. I know. <laughs> We're still praying for his salvation. So, By the way, that's the first regular season game of the year. Sunday night game, Bears and Packers. What if we had a thing here and hung out? Would everybody be here for that? I think we do that. Just make it like a cheese orama or something. I'm telling you, man, it'd be good. Which, by the way, because my team did not sign Kirk Cousins long-term, I put all my stuff on eBay and sold it. I'm no longer a Redskins fan. I, I I, am. I So I'm all Packers sold out now. I got Packers stuff all throughout my closet now. I am pretty excited for the Vikings this year, though. I'm sorry. I like Kirk Cousins. He's a Christian. His dad's a pastor down in Florida. He's actually... ...me off. He did. <laughs> Yeah, Mitch is like, now nah, i got to go back and delete the audio. Great, thanks a lot. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol. And pay attention to this, guys. I'm telling you, I, I hope that you get the significance of what he says here. Because, because society is more guilty of this than what we, what we know. You shall not make any likeness of what is in heaven above, or on earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. How many people have seen the Charmin tissue commercial? And you got these, yes, no? You got these cute little babies with little white wings and naked butts sitting on clouds, and somehow we're supposed to think that's what angels are. Does anything like that appear in the scriptures? No, an angel shows up, and everybody goes into cardiac arrest and falls over. That's what happens when that goes on. What's that? They mess themselves. Mitch just disappeared. <laughs> in the back. You're going to have to edit that one too, Mitch. Wow. What else do we, What else do we find though? On the Earth, above the Earth, or the water under the Earth? What's up? OK? What are images that are like that? What's up? Roman Catholicism is a massive example of this. It's imagine them and them in the Greek Orthodox Church or Eastern Orthodox churches. When I was over in Kiev, Ukraine, walking around, I was telling somebody about this the other day. We were down in the catacombs and people are freaking out, rubbing crosses with one hand and nodding back and forth and in Ukrainian or Russian confessing all these sins. And then they're kissing these plexiglass cases with these dead corpses in there. Before they put the plexiglass cases on them, they were actually kissing the flesh of the dead body that was down there rotting. Now, I'm talking about these catacombs went on for a couple of miles. We could have walked around in there. It was it was just gross. What were you gonna say, Laverne? Hmm. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yep. Actually, that was that fish. Well, that would be different. That would be different. He's talking about, uh, uh, Dale's holding up the Ichthus. The Ichthus would be different because it was a sign that was put on the graves of Christian martyrs in order to demonstrate that they were believers in Jesus Christ uh, and probably had died mostly by persecution in that in that matter. But that was to keep them from... Uh, I think the Ichthus was used as a a symbol in order to keep them from direct persecution. It was kind of how they were operating as an underground church at that time. But it ended up on a lot of tombstones in order to symbol that. Yeah, so Jesus Christ, Son of God and Savior kind of thing. What else do we see? How about Mount Rushmore? Would Mount Rushmore qualify? Is it an image of things on this earth? Okay, see, we have to ask ourselves, how blatant is this that we don't get it? We don't worship it. Okay. Okay, so Chuck has a house full of images. Make sure that's down for the internet to to repeat. Okay. Okay, so what does it mean to worship something, I guess would be the question we're asking. Okay, would you be willing to part with it? What if it's worth a lot of money? If you exalt it? How does the scripture describe that? If, you, if we talk about, and this is a reason why a hermeneutics class gets so fun, which by the way, we're having one in September. <laughs> um, but when you, when you talk about synonymous parallelisms in the text, you will actually find that the words that you might say, you know what, I wonder what that fully means. The parallel to it will help define the direction you should think. The actual parallel of worship in Scripture is serve. If you serve an image in some way. Now talk, how about people consulting their horoscopes? Well, I don't worship my horoscope. Stop. Does it influence the way that you conduct yourself throughout the rest of your day? Does it influence your decision making? It sounds like that you have taken that word as true, and so therefore we're guilty of it. You see how that works? And that's what I'm saying. It could be the slightest, most subtle thing. Go ahead. Serving debt? Well, the borrow is slave to the lender, right? Yeah, I got to serve this debt. What else? Psychics? Saul was guilty of it? Somehow I need some direction in my life, and so I'm going to pay somebody in order to gaze into a crystal ball or to turn over tarot cards or to do a seance or something like that in order to give me some sort of direction for how I should live. Dangerous. You have one? What do you got? Would bowing down be worshiping? Yes, that would be a that would be a physical uh, manifestation of what that looks like to worship. That'd be something you do physically. But honestly, where does worship start? Starts in the heart. It's a matter of what's most important in the heart is really what you get at. That's a great question. Thank you for asking it. How about the next one? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Now, is this just GD? It's not. It's not. In fact, it's attributing anything to God that is not part and parcel of His character. Making Him to be some way that He might not be. Anybody know a, a contemporary, modern-day example of that? I just don't think God would do that. How do you How do you know? Because He's a loving God. He's all love, no justice. But how do you determine what God would and would not do? His Word. See, this is why the subject, the most basic subject of all of Christianity that the church has to be well versed on is the inerrancy, infallibility, and complete sufficiency of the Word. It has to be. We have to have that down. Because that stuff is floating everywhere. It is almost impossible, especially in big cities, to find a church that does not think that the Word of God is just, eh. It's not really God speaking. What are some other things that we see modern day? God's a woman. We heard this one. God's a woman. How about God is pleased with things that He's really not? we done that. Yeah. And notice, probably someplace that our minds go immediately is, is, is we're like well the republicans don't have the corner on god sometimes we get that mentality that goes on and sometimes it's the whole idea of well god's totally okay with gay marriage and things like that which we know that that's not true from the scriptures either but those are like the more prominent issues can we think of anything else that comes under there think about where you live think about tv commercials you see or magazines that you read or people that you talk to your friends hanging out at the barber shop i don't know even in oh it's all over movies It's all over movies and TV shows. Anybody know that there's a show on called Lucifer? Yeah, anybody watched it? Good, you're all saved. So, I'm just kidding. But makes you wonder. well, Well, I wonder how this show that is named for the first one who committed sin, the one who exalted himself in pride against God and was cast out. Makes you wonder what they view God as. Hollywood's dying to tell a story. It's just never the right one. How about twelve? Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. See, that's more difficult for us because we make the argument, well, that's not really repeated in the New Testament. And it's not. In fact, for the Sabbath day for them was what? Do we remember for Jewish? It was mainly Saturday. Yeah. Midnight Friday or 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 dawn or um dusk on, on Friday until the next day is Saturday. So that was a time it was set apart. We, of course. Worship the Lord on a Sunday because it's a commemoration of the resurrection of Christ. So that's why we do that. However, you'll be hard-pressed to find that there is mark out a Sabbath day and keep it holy. However, are we told as far as observing signs and seasons that each one of us should be fully convinced in our own minds? Are we told that in the New Testament? We are. And the whole point of that is, is do you have a regular time you're spending in devotion to the Lord? That's the idea. How many people are workaholics? Nobody wants to admit it? Okay. Good. Okay. Some of us get so obsessed with our work that everything else could fall by the wayside. That becomes more prominent. Some of us are family aholics, but that's a good thing, is it? If your family becomes comes between you and the Lord, is that a good thing? Or have we unknowingly exalted our family? Now we get in trouble. Now we get in trouble. If you don't have a regular time that you set aside for the Lord, you should. It'll cost you something because it means that you will have to temper everything else that your devotion is towards in order to do that. It's a discipline is what it is. How about the next one? Five, we get a little bit easier. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you. Where do we see this problem today? You don't have to look far. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh, we have a hand raised over here. You, You guys ready for this? What do you think, man? Go ahead. At your house. You know what? That's the right answer. The most likely place for honor your father and mother to go wrong is in the home. Which gives you the purpose and reason for what? Discipline. Discipline. The importance of discipline in the home is so that it keeps the family structure as it ought to be. Because it is that the buck doesn't stop with the parent. It goes past the parent to the Lord. It's because the Lord has made me your parent is where this authority comes from. And here's the thing. Even it's described in Hebrews 12. In fact, let's look there real quick. I want you to see it. Hebrews 12 and then we'll come back to this. This is so important to get because it transfers on both levels in our relationship with the Lord and in the relationship in the home. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 4. And it's talking about the idea that Jesus has submitted Himself to the cross because there was joy on the other side of it, and that we should look to that as a model and do away with sin that tries to bear trap us and to hold us down that we play and piddle with. Okay? So verse 4. Hebrews 12, verse 4, excuse me. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you striving against sin. In other words, if it came down to it, we would all sin before we would shed our blood is the idea. Notice that Jesus would rather shed his blood and die than to sin. Everybody see how serious sin is? He would rather die than sin. Praise God for him, right? But it says here, notice what it, what it goes on to. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as what? Sons, part of the family. It said, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Don't miss verse six. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. If you discipline your kids, it's because you love them. And he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now notice a point he's trying to make. But if you are without discipline, in other words, if your kids are running amok and you are not correcting them, and the implication here by what son does he receive that he does not scourge, it's with force. Discipline is supposed to hurt it's supposed to send a message. There is pain involved. Now don't get me wrong. Every time I have to spank my little son's butt, it grieves my heart. But I know that if I let it go, I'm asking for problems down the road. And I've even gotten to the point with him where I'm like, sit down. You need to sit down. He's standing up in our, in our recliner and it's all rocking back. <laughs> He's just having, he thinks it's like a trampoline or something. I'm like, Sit down. And finally, I stand up and I walk towards him. You know what happens when I take that first step? He sits down. Do you know what I do? I still pick him up and I spank his butt. Because he's going to get to the point now where, oh, well, when he approaches me, I just have to obey. No, when I tell you, you obey. That's how that communicates. There's pain involved in it. Don't wait for me to react. Hear the word and do it. Same principle in the Scripture. So notice, verse 8, but if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers of the discipline, then you are what? Illegitimate children and not his sons. God spanks us because He loves us. When we get out of line and we entertain sin and we refuse to throw it off of us, He spanks us because He cares for His kids. Discipline equals love. If there's no discipline in the home, guess what? say it there's no love that hurts doesn't it that hurts if you sit there and go but i love my kids not according to scripture says everybody see how painful and convicting that could be quickly now i didn't say that this isn't like i'm dr phil how does that make you feel about that i'm not doing that but notice the Bible's pretty clear this is how god addresses us in rebellion and sin and disobedience So therefore, the family structure should act the same way because if it doesn't, you have claimed that there's not true love in your family. Dangerous. So yeah, you're exactly right. Where does that happen? In the home. Everybody turn back to Deuteronomy 5. The sad thing is is you see instances of this all over TV. Anybody seen Peppa Pig? Peppa Pig. She does that. Anybody seen that? Okay. It's British. Maybe. (laughs) But you can ask my wife. The husband in that cartoon is made out to be the greatest imbecile that ever walked the face of the earth. He's never right. He doesn't know anything. Oh, daddy, you're so dumb. That kind of thing. That's him. It's all television, isn't it? And so we laugh at it, but what is it really doing? Does anybody know? actually eroding the family structure it's actually saying you can't trust your dad he just doesn't get it but where can you always turn to in those episodes do you know and here's the interesting thing it's not mom because mom's often overbearing and crazy it's the kid the kid can always turn to their friends because the friends are the only one who get me well they'll help me has that ever worked ever in history never not one time it never worked but yet that's what we're fed misdirection how about the next one? You shall not murder. Where do we see this in society? Hmm? Abortion. Abortion. 4,400 infants die. It's estimated a day. Our government not only supports it, but funds it. And we as taxpayers fund it. In fact, not too long ago, I think it was a month and a half, Trump signed a bill. Budget cuts and this kind of thing, whatever else, totally still funding Planned Parenthood. $585 million to help Planned Parenthood. And what do they call it? Family planning. It's not family planning. Has anybody ever researched Margaret Sanger? She's a Nazi. is what she is. Her whole idea was to exterminate minorities. In fact, a lot of them have been instructed. She's a racist. A lot of them have been instructed in situations. Of course, she died like in the 30s or 40s or something like that. But a lot have been instructed. If you have someone in there that is of Latino descent, that is black, you definitely push for them to get an abortion, kill them. It's insane. But you know what's great is I go down here on Cook Street. Wisconsin loves Planned Parenthood. Do we? Oh, it seems what we do by the people that we've elected. We just had a race for judge and it was Shrenok and whoever the other person was. Now here's the thing, I don't care who you voted for, but the main platform that that lady ran on on the commercial from what I saw was the fact that she was going to protect Planned Parenthood. Who's going to protect these kids from getting killed? Of the safest place they should be in the womb, that is going to be their grave. That makes no sense, Roxanne. Hmm. Yes. I don't know if you guys saw any of the videos that were done undercover, where they went in and had a conversation about black market baby parts and things like that. I don't know if you watch those. You actually see on the videos the body parts. That's where we live. We live in a place where we're having private conversations in coffee shops just kind of randomly talking about the parts that were pulled apart of infants. That's where we're at. That's where we're at as a society. I think the only reason why God has not destroyed America yet is because we stand with Israel. I think that's the only reason. I think once that's gone, get ready. I don't think we have to worry about killing ourselves. I don't think that's going to be the problem. I think the fact is God's going to judge us. There's nothing about us in the end times. Nothing. I think our our judgment day is much more nigh than what we understand. And I think a lot of it has to be the fact that we murder innocent people. Like it's going out of style and it's become a business. It's become a business. And this is accepted. It's acceptable. Our president is not an evangelical president. let's stop thinking that way. Let's stop promoting him that way. Let's stop thinking that just because These religious leaders met with things. We are not a godly nation. We're not. And the problem is, is when we've gotten into a conversation of thinking along those lines, we've just committed adultery. We've just got some treason. Somehow this guy is going to save us when God couldn't. We're we're, we're no better than what the people are crying out for a king like all the other nations. All the other nations did not have it together. It's very dangerous. It's very dangerous ground. And that's what I'm saying is, this text doesn't just stay on the page. It dictates how we live life. Our experience does not dictate this. This dictates our experience. And if we're not seeing it through the lens of the truth of what God has set as standards for how a nation ought to run, then we're just being snowed over. We're just being deceived and we're buying into it. Remember, 1 John five nineteen: the whole world is in the sway of the evil one. The whole world lies in the sway of the evil one. We're not any different just because we live in America. How about the next one? You shall not commit adultery. Is this all for our movies? You can't even have a TV show without that going on, can you? What else do we find in that? Anybody know? Let me ask you this. Would you say that adultery is one of the greatest causes of divorce in America? One of them? Let's say if we just took those percentages. I don't know what they are. It'd be interesting to do the math behind this. But let's say that adultery happens in a situation. They say, you know what? We can't continue on in this situation. We're going to divorce and there's children involved. Okay? Now you have the support of two separate households. You know what you've just done? You've just necessitated the government to step in and start a welfare program. That's what you did. How did we get to that point where we became reliant upon a government to supply our answers? Because we refused to follow what God said and staying in a monogamous relationship. Isn't it interesting that God said the king is not to have many wives? Isn't it interesting that the way that God shows the structure is Adam and Eve, that's it. Man, if 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 David would have just been monogamous, he was right in a lot of things, but boy, he was wrong there. You see what I'm saying? There's a lot to be learned from that. We've created all kinds of economical problems for ourselves by just simple acceptance of disobedience. And that's usually where the the... The friction is, is it not? It's usually in the family. Well, they did this, but we don't want to talk about it. Well, we can't bring it up when they come over kind of thing. Did they do it? Are they flaunting it? Some of you have had to deal with, with having gay kids or gay grandkids, that type of thing. Maybe in your relationship, your spouse left because they were gay, whatever it was, and that kind of thing. And somehow we feel like that we should cover up in those situations. It's not that we're trying to parade sin and promote it and that type of thing. That's not at all. We're, we're simply saying this is wrong. Why is it wrong? Because God's Word says it clearly. But see, this is where we live in our whole floaty, jello-like society. Everything is relative, right? There is no standard of truth. Well, it's not what God says. Oh, well, you're just a religious fanatic. You're just such a bigot. You're so narrow-minded. So be it, but you can't get away from the fact that God's word sets a standard. All of us are answerable. and See, if we don't crumble on the standard, now you've got a completely different conversation going on. Completely different. Anybody else know what the problem with adultery is? What, is it, what does it create? Does anybody know? One of the biggest problems we have right now that nobody wants to talk about. Huh? Well, pornography's part of it because it's a type of adultery, yes. Uh, when, STDs. One of the biggest things we deal with. You realize that a lot of STDs go unreported. I don't know how we know that if they're not reported. But I think it's incredible. You look at a medical journal in the 50s. There's four STDs on record. What do we have now? Over 40. Where did that come from? Does everybody remember when AIDS wasn't an issue? What happened? Everybody see? If we would just follow God's plan, let's say right now, We all made a resolve. We're just going to follow God's plan. One man, one woman in marriage. Sex with nobody else. This is how it's going to go. Period. All safeguards have been put on this marriage. It'll never go anywhere else. Do you realize that after the generations of people who have sexually transmitted diseases today die out, there are no more. We just cured ourselves simply by following what God said. It's amazing to see the implications on a society that his truth is in answering things. We have an AIDS problem. Well, there's medicine for that and all that, but let's be honest. AIDS kills people, as horrible as it is. And I've known people that have AIDS. It kills people. But here's the thing, if they don't have sex with anybody else, once they're gone, and sadly that's the consequences of some things that happen, not all of it happens through sexual transmission, But in doing that, once that's gone, guess what? It's not there anymore. Very interesting to see. Which makes you view it honestly as this. What are those things actually? It's consequences of sin is what it is. How about the next one? You shall not steal. Anybody got something you want? I should be at Disney World. I want that DeLorean. Like we're going to have, you're going to drive a DeLorean around Portage. Come on, really. But what else? Can you imagine? Mm Mm-hmm. Brand new drum set. If you're stealing it, you're actually dealing more with coveting. Which is also known on your end as meddling. But but no, we're talking about actually stealing. You ever taken something that's not yours? That's not yours? Why did you take it? Because you had convinced yourself that it should have been yours. So instead of earning it or working hard for it, notice that there's nothing wrong with working hard for something, buying it, purchasing it. You are the rightful owner of it. But you actually taking from somebody else is denying their ownership and placing your own stamp on it. That's rough because it doesn't just end in material objects, it goes far beyond that. We're running out of time. Let's go to the next one. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Which is essentially what? Slander or lying is what it is. Does anybody think that it's interesting that he put down against your neighbor? What does that tell you? covers everybody. Does everybody see that it's probably localized circles? What are you saying about the person across the street? What are you saying about the person next door? Is it true? Notice it's not saying don't tell the truth about your neighbor saying do you know (laughs) yeah i'm curious who your neighbor is steve because you're like oh 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 help me lord right but notice bearing false witness against your neighbor are you speaking accurately about the people around you that destroys gossip at the church we're not slandering people we're not lying about them where else do we see that in public circles there was a show on for a little while called gossip girl Never watched it. Praise the Lord. You're saved. See, this is all requirements to determine whether or not you fit or not. Just kidding. Think, What's that? I did. I watched a little bit of it for the simple fact that I'm asking the question, what in the world is this about? What is the world throwing out there to entertain me now and how blatant it is in sin? I was walking through Walmart one time a couple of years ago, and L'Oreal or somebody like this had this new line of, of nail products called sinful colors like it was a good thing these are so good they're sinful what is that telling you yeah sinful red right Is sin good according to them it is according to them it's everything that you want to be in the midst of it's so good it's sinful which is something we also say about chocolate cake isn't it yeah so good it's sinful in fact isn't there a cake called sinful cake or something like that I don't know. The implication is the best things are sinful. And here's the reason why. Why is that? Because they're self-indulgent. Because it's about everything that you want but that you shouldn't have. Everybody see how screwed up our world is? See, we don't need any help. We just need to open our eyes and look at what's going on around us. That's how messed up it is. How about the last one? You shall not cover your neighbor's wife. Desire your neighbor's house, field, male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, anything that belongs to your neighbor, even if their kid would come over and mow your yard. Notice that. You shall not covet any of those things. What is coveting? It's want, desire, possessing, but it's also, you might know, you're coveting something. Think about the last thing that you coveted. Yearn. You're getting closer. What is it? Desire. Put above. It almost starts to take precedence over God, doesn't it? It actually becomes a form of worship or serving. And it also, if it's not the object that you're after, it's the desire that you're feeding. Everybody see how that works? Do me a favor. Turn with me to James 1 and we'll finish here. All of these things are profound because of how they play in our lives lives I think this is important look at verse 13 chapter 1 verse 13 of James let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil and He Himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away, notice the language, notice the verbs, carried away and enticed by his own lust. Where does sin originate? In the heart within. It originates in the heart. notice this. It says here, verse 15, Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So the place to intercept sin is when it creates lust. Notice that James understands the human condition. There are going to be things that are going to arouse us in the direction of sin that are going to tempt us or seek to lure us or going to dangle the bait out there somehow. And that is the place to take hold of the situation, to take every thought captive unto Christ and deal with it according to the truth then. Why? Because if not, it conceives sin. And once it is conceived, and notice the, 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 the language here is used as the idea of bringing forth a child. It's offspring. It's reproduction is the idea. When it brings forth that sin, when it conceives that sin, the only logical end that that's going to come to, when it comes time for birth, is is a birth into death, is the idea. Sin leads to death. Sin deserves death. The Scripture is completely clear about that. That's every direction in which it goes. So we have to recognize when our hearts get strewn certain directions, pulled this way. I think about this. I'm obsessing over this thing. I just can't stop. I just can't and, and take a hold of that thing and inoculate it with the truth. We have to. We have got to bring the truth into the situation. Sin is sin. The only thing that exposes sin And can solve sin as truth. Now let me say that to say this. The law condemns. It cannot cure. The law condemns but it cannot correct. The law is never a means of making things better. This idea that we are spiritually grocery shopping and checking off items in our life. It will not suffice before the Lord because the only thing we check off is, yeah, I did that. Yeah. In fact, if we went through one and 10, you think we could all start a grocery list and see what happens throughout the rest of the day? How do you think we do? I think I would find 12 laws to break out of 10. That's what I think would go on, right? I think that I would be such an excessive sinner. I would get depressed, but stop. Isn't that what happens when you focus on yourself? Depression. Because we're all sinners. We're all guilty. We know. Therefore, where's the true key of self-esteem for the Christian? Who we are in Christ. It is all about having a clear, solid vision of everything that Jesus conquers that drags us down. And because He is resurrected this new life He allows for us to live. We don't have to be prey any longer to the self-life. We can now live a new life. What you got, man? Go ahead. Actually, yeah. I would agree with that. I can't think of anything worse in the world than sin. That's good. Well, here's the thing that makes the what made the devil the devil is sin. So that makes it pretty bad. It says he was doing great until iniquity, sin, was found in his heart. He wanted to be like God. He was coveting everything that God had. And he had pride he thought he deserved. it. He thought a lot about himself. Yeah, good thinking. I like the way the, the, the hamster runs that wheel up there in your head, buddy. I, need, I love it. You're right on target. That's great. So sin's dangerous. And notice that God in this situation of Deuteronomy is going to great lengths to communicate to people, listen, don't forsake it. Hear it. Do it. Moses will teach it. You take it and apply it. Change your culture by knowing the truth of what God calls for and then simply upholding those truths. It's not that we're not going to sin. That's going to happen even in chapter 7 of romans paul says who's going to save me from this body of death all it wants to do is sin because that's the only thing our flesh can do but notice it's taking those truths identifying what leads us in sin around us and then realizing thank god for jesus christ the cure Thank God that when he died, he died for sin. What does that mean? It means everything we just read in Deuteronomy 5. It means everything we're identifying in our lives. It means everything that's being taught in your schools. It means everything that they're telling you to have pride in and to love and to go for. And yay you, you're a big deal. I don't mean to be such a downer about our self-personage, but we're all depressing. You guys depress me. And hopefully I depress you. I hope I depress you to unbelievable lengths to where you look at me and you go, Thank God for Jesus Christ. Because that's where we all need to be. Thank you, God, for Jesus Christ. Why could sin is so bad? Let's pray. Thank you, God, that we have a loving Savior, a loving Christ who willfully gives himself. But Father, He knew there was joy on the other side of that cross. He endured it. And it makes Him smile to know that we stand alongside Him all because of his matchless grace. Thank you, God, for being so amazing, so precious, so true. Help us to look to you. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.